Good morning, everyone. Let's stand together and turn to page 352, 352 in your songbooks. My hope is in the Lord. Amen. 352 as we get started this morning. Turn to page one, my faith has found a resting place. Life he gave. I mean no 
let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for each one that has ventured out in the weather this morning. And Lord, we just pray that uh, we would be able to sing these songs to your honor and glory. Lord, that uh, the preaching would bring glory to your name. We ask that every part of this service would be done in worship to you. Lord, we pray that we be able to behold your glory this morning and have it change us, that we may leave here more like Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Man, now let's turn to page 415, 415, Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. What a fellowship, what a joy divine, Leaning on the everlasting arms. What a blessedness, what a peace is mine, Leaning on the everlasting arms. You can turn to page 417 and know that it is well with my soul. Amen. It is well with my soul. Page 417. When peace like a river runs my way, when sorrows like sea.
seated and the children 11 and under may be dismissed. And before the message, Sharon is going to sing a special. I'll just get the microphone hooked up here.
who holds your tomorrow no matter what comes he will never leave you alone for you are his own and what a friend we have in jesus all our sins and griefs to bear Just as you are, he knows every need of your heart. There is a friend who is ever beside you, loving you, leading you safely. He'll hide you in every trial and trouble. He knows what to do, for he cares for you. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And uh, if you want to get ahead of the game, get uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 13. We'll be going there in just a few moments. But we're going to start in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. God has given us a wonderful book called the Bible, and in it, it just has so many things. And, and I want us to look at verse 11 of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It says, Now all these things happen unto them for ensamples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the end of the worlds are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. And we read these verses here, and one of the reasons why we spend so much time, our Sunday school time, we are going through the Bible just one story at a time. It takes nearly three years to go through the whole Bible in, in our Sunday school time. And uh, we've been through the Bible in the history of our church. We uh, just started our fourth time through the Bible. And you say, now, Pastor, what are you going to do after we finish this one? Well, we'll probably just start again. Amen. And uh, when we finish that one, we'll probably just start again. And uh, maybe someday I'll stand up here and say, we've been through the Bible 25 times. Now, that's going to take a few years. Uh, now, actually, longer than I'm going to live. But uh, Lord willing, somebody else will be standing here and we'll just keep doing it. Amen. Uh, because everything in this book is pictures for us. And what I want us to do is, is to really just look at the 
mirror of God's Word this morning. We're going to look at a story in the Old Testament in First Chronicles chapter 13. And we're going to see some physical, literal events that transpired in the life of David. But I think if we'll look just a little harder... Uh, instead of David and the children of Israel in this story, I think we might see Open Door Bible Baptist Church in this story. And uh, uh, maybe we can learn uh, a few things and be challenged to do a few things. And I, I praise the Lord for what is going on in our church, but I don't know about you. I'd like to see a little more happen. Amen. I'd like to see a step just forward a little more. And uh, I want us to turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 13. 1 Chronicles. And uh, these are the stories of the kings of Judah. 1 Chronicles 13. In verse 1, it says, And David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds, and with every leader, and David said unto all the congregation of Israel, If it seem good to you that it be of and that it be of the Lord our God, let us send abroad unto our brethren everywhere that are left in all the land of Israel, and with them also to the priests and Levites, which are in their cities and suburbs, that they may gather themselves unto us. And let us bring again the ark of our God to us, for we inquired not at it in the days of Saul. Now, I want us just to look at David's desire here. Um, the ark of the covenant is not just a neat little thing that Indiana Jones tried to find, all right? Uh, he never did find it, by the way. Uh, no one knows where that ark is. In fact, uh, if you want to know what started all of this violence in the land of Israel uh, several years back, was the prime minister allowed some archaeologists to begin tunneling under the Temple Mount because that's where they believe the Ark of the Covenant is found I mean, is is stored. They had, uh, there is just unbelievable amount of caves and tunnels under there where in Solomon's day, nearly a thousand years before Christ was born, they went into the mountain on which Jerusalem was built and they cut out the stones that they built the temple with. And uh, the the best beliefs is the best understanding is that somewhere in that catacomb as Nebuchadnezzar's soldiers were destroying the city, the Ark of the Covenant was carried down through that temple mound and hidden in there. And we don't know where it is. The Jewish people don't know where it is. And let me tell you, Islam is absolutely scared to death that someday they're going to find that Ark. Because if they do, it proves everything in the Quran to be wrong and everything in this book to be called the Bible to be right. Now, we know the Bible's right. Amen. We don't need to find the Ark of the Covenant to prove that. But there are a lot of people that are afraid of that thing. 
And if you remember your history, we have to go the whole way back, 40 years before David, before King Saul, the first king was anointed. There was a battle at the very end time of the life of Eli. In fact, as a result of that battle, he died. The children of Israel were fighting the Philistines. Philistines lived in what is today called the Gaza Strip. Nothing new, huh? And they were fighting a battle. And the the Israelites were beaten before the Philistines. They were losing the battle. They were losing the war. And and they said, we're going to go tomorrow. But if we're going to go tomorrow, let's get the ark of God. And so they went and they sent Eli's wicked, debauched sons, (coughs) excuse me, who were the priests, And they brought the ark of God into the camp of Israel for the battle the next day. And if you'll remember the story, all of Israel shouted with a shout. And they said, we're going to win tomorrow because we have the ark of God. Now, God's not a trinket that you carry around on your shoulders. And God was not with them. They lost the battle. And the ark of God was captured by the Philistines. Now, the Philistines had some lessons to learn, didn't they? As in city after city where that ark of God was set, great destruction and death followed. And so they took the ark of God and they put it on a cart and they got two cows with their little calves and they held the calves who were crying for mama and they said, listen, if... If God is really in this, if this ark is the cause of all of our trouble, then these cows will leave their calves and they'll take the ark back to the land of Israel. And they no more let go of those cows and they took off with their little calves whining in the background and they ignored them because the ark was the cause. And it came into a town of Israel and when they saw it, they rejoiced. And they sacrificed those cows that had brought the ark to them. And they looked in the ark and 57,000 of the children of Israel died. And so the ark had sat in a town, in a man's house, all the reign of Saul, and no one paid any attention to it. Now David has become the king. And he says, we want to bring the ark back and we want to seek God, God's way. Isn't that a good thing? That's the way it ought to be. We could use a little bit of that in the country, our country today, could we not? But that's not the subject of this morning's message. But David did the best thing he knew how. He brought everybody in. He brought all the captains of the army. He brought the Levites. He brought the priests. He said, listen, we did not pay attention to the ark of God during the days of Saul because Saul's heart was not to follow God. He said, my heart is to follow God and I want us to seek after God. And so let's bring the ark of the covenant here to Jerusalem so it will be a centerpiece and our people as a country will know that we are to seek after God. David had the right desire. But let's read on. And all the congregation, verse 4, 
And all the congregation said that they would do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. So David gathered all Israel together from Shihor of Egypt, even unto the entering of Hemath, to bring the ark of God from Kirjath-Jerim. And David went up in all Israel to Bala, that is Kirjath-Jerim, which belongeth to Judah, to bring up thence the ark of the Lord that dwelleth between the cherubims, whose name is called on it. And they carried the ark of God in a new cart out of the house of Abinadab. And Uzzah and Ehud drove the cart. And David and all Israel played before God with all their might and with singing and with harps and psalteries and timbrels and with cymbals and trumpets. And when they came to the threshing floor of Chidon, Uzzah put forth his hand to hold the ark for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he smote him because that he put his hand to the ark, and there he died before God. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah, wherefore that place is called Perez Uzzah, or the breach of Uzzah, to this day. And David was afraid of God that day, saying, How shall I bring the ark of God home to me? So David brought not the ark of God to himself to the city of David, but carried it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. Now, verse 14 is important. And the ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house three months, and the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that he had. Now, David did something here. David borrowed an idea from the Philistines to move the ark. The ark had gotten to Kerjath-Jerim in a cart. That's not the way God ever intended his ark to be carried. It was to be carried upon the shoulders of the Levites. I want you to think about this. David and all of Israel had the right desire, did they not? But they went to the world and borrowed a worldly idea in order to accomplish the thing that God wanted them to have happen. David occasioned the death of Uzzah. In fact, the name of that threshing floor became known as the place where Uzzah died or the breach of Uzzah. Uzzah a breach means a break or an opening or an end, actually. And, uh, and uh, they, everybody that walked through that place from then on said, this is a place where Uzzah died. Now, let me, let me just put something forth to you today. Um, how many of you have seen a cart drawn by oxen? I mean, that is not something you're going to see much in the United States. Maybe in foreign countries. Uh, I know they still do that in certain places. Uh, how many of you have ever heard the phrase, dumb as an ox? You ever hear, I mean, that's an American. Well, I mean, you've got to get the picture here. These ox were walking... And it was just regular ground where they were walking. There were no paved roads. And all of a sudden, they get to the threshing floor here. 
This was uh, the equivalent of a paved surface, and it took these oxen. Uh, they were trying to figure out who changed the world on them. I mean, they were walking on the ground. Dirt is kind of soft, especially if you weigh as much as an ox does. I mean, those things are huge. And all of a sudden, they go clop, expecting their foot to sink into the ground about a quarter of an inch or so, and it doesn't because they're on a rock. And they start wobbling all over the place. And when you have an 1,800-pound ox begin to wobble all over the place, everything he's attached to begins to wobble with him, doesn't it? Now, I, wanna, I want you to get the picture here. As these oxen are trying to get their footing, the cart upon which the Ark of the Lord, the, the Ark of the Covenant is sitting, is wobbling back and forth. The Ark could not fall off the cart. Stop and think about that for a minute. The mercy seat sat upon the top of the ark. It was made out of solid gold. If it had fallen off the cart, I mean, you just, you just can't imagine that happening. There, there would have been damage to the ark had that happened. Uzzah had to stop the ark. He did the only thing he knew how, but he violated God's holiness when he did it. Any violation of God's holiness is met with God's judgment. And Uzzah died on the spot. He was dead before his body tumbled off the cart onto the threshing floor. God is very serious about one thing. And you've got to look through this Bible and read this. If you want a theme uh, to study your Bible by, read through the Bible and just think of all of the references to the holiness of God that are in this book called the Bible. It will change your opinion of God, I'll tell you that. One of the problems we have today is we serve a God that we've remade and made Him a lot like us, and He just understands everything so well that, that He even accepts our sin. And that is not the God of this book called the Bible. If you want to know what God thought about sin, you study the story of Calvary, amen? That's what God thought about sin. And so God is, is, is very offended here, and Uzzah dies. And yet, as that ark is taken aside in the house of Obed-Edom, what happens to Obed-Edom? His house is blessed from the very moment the ark shows up. See, God is interested in blessing His people. God is acutely interested in being worshipped God's way. God is also very particular when it comes to the violation of His holiness. Those two things go hand in hand. They actually work together, not against each other as they did in this story here. Now, let's just take a moment and look into this mirror. We see in God's Word, a people who desired to worship God. Amen? 
Do we not have that desire at Open Door Bible Baptist Church? We want to worship God. Amen? And we want to do it God's way. We have to be careful. Because the world is out there and the world offers a lot of incredible ideas on how to build your church and how to get people in the doors and how to do all of these things. Worldliness is enemy number one of holiness. You cannot hold on to the things of the world and the things of God. It's not possible. And when we go to the world or when churches go to the world and get ideas from the world on how to worship God, they violate God's holiness and souls are put in the balance. We have many, many people today who have such a familiarity with God that it borders on contempt for his character. He's not an old man that sits in a rocking chair in heaven wondering what happened. Amen? He is the creator God of the universe. We've, I've said it many, many times, and I, I hope you don't mind hearing it being repeated. God loves you so much that He wants you to come to Him just the way you are. He does not want you to clean yourself up or change yourself or modify yourself or somehow make yourself more acceptable to Him because that's not possible. Again, it's a violation of His holiness. Because what you're saying is that somehow the things that you can do are acceptable in God's sight. And that's not true. God says, you come to me just the way you are. Be honest about your sin, your failures, and everything you are, and bring it to God. God says, I love you so much that I'm not going to depend upon you to do anything. I'm going to change everything myself. I'm going to do it the right way. I'm going to give you a brand new life. That's why the Bible calls it being born again. The old life is not good enough. It's got to be done away with. God says, I can't use that. I want to use the life that I'm going to give you. And what frightens me today is I've met people from all churches and many different persuasions. And, and you know, I've met very, very few people who really think that they might miss out on heaven. I've had dozens and dozens. I couldn't tell you how many people over the years said, well, I'm keeping the Ten Commandments. Could you name me the Ten Commandments? Well, um, um, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. No, that's not one of the Ten Commandments. 
That's the great commandment. You keep that one, you'll keep all ten. But let me tell you something, you can't keep that one because you've already broken all the others. Amen? If you were really trying to get to heaven by keeping the Ten Commandments, if you're really that concerned, don't you think you ought to learn them first? At least know what they are? I've met a lot of people. I've had family members who attend a different kind of church, and they believe that unless you uh, live a certain way, you could actually lose your salvation. I only found out one thing, though, after talking to them over the years, was that that losing your salvation thing was for other people. It was never for them. Well, if, if, if so-and-so did that, they could lose their salvation. If, if anybody did that, but I, I never did that, so I'm not going to lose my salvation. Amen? Uh, they're a whole lot closer to the truth than they think they are, just not willing to admit it. Once you get saved, you got it all. Amen? Because Jesus paid for it all on the cross. And as we look at this picture here, there are souls at risk. And this is one of the reasons why we stick with the old hymns. Because we don't want to get the world's music in the church. Amen? You, you look at the words of those hymns we sang. Now, I'll tell you something. If you're not used to that kind of music, it's going to take a while. You're going to have to allow yourself to be trained. But you, you can learn to like just about anything. Many of you, before you were saved, started smoking cigarettes. Remember the first one? Man, you were sick for three days, but now, now it's not a problem. You, you, learned, you learned to like those things. Now you've got to learn to hate them again. Amen? Uh, there's all kinds of habits that we have acquired that we have learned to like. And if, if we'll only let God, He'll teach us to unlike them. Amen? But if we get so comfortable with this idea of a God who loves us and never deals with sin, we can be absolutely comfortable and smiling the whole way to the turnoff where we miss heaven. And by the way, there's only one other option out there. And that's hell. Now, there's a lot of churches where you'll never hear the word hell unless a member is cursing in the lobby on his way into church. But hell is a real place. And if we miss the grace of God, that's where we will spend all eternity. Because every one of us is on the way to that place. You were not born on the road to heaven. You were born on the road to destruction. And unless there is a U-turn, unless there is a clash between the holiness of God and the sinfulness in your life, there is going to be God's judgment 
Because Jesus paid for every sin on the cross. There's absolutely no excuse for any human being to miss heaven's glory. You've got to bring your sin to God and get it dealt with God's way. And that's why we're not going to put on a drama on Sunday morning and call it preaching. That's why we're not going to do many of things. By the way, um, if you know me very well, I'm not a good actor. I don't pretend to be. I don't want to be. Uh, we're not going to out-Broadway, Broadway here at Open Door Bible Baptist Church. We're just not good enough. So let's not play games. Amen? Let's just get back to the, God's way. And it says through the foolishness of preaching. With that, I think I'm qualified. And, and we'll just go and we'll just keep saying what this Word says. And as we look in this picture, we see that God's blessings are out there. And God's judgment for everyone who violates His holiness. Now, that's the first picture we're going to look at this morning. Now, let's turn the page or so in your Bible to 1 Chronicles chapter 15. And, and we're going to come back here and we're going to look at the second picture into the mirror the second time this morning. Verse 11 and David called for Zadok and Abathar the priest and for the Levites and for Uriel and Isaiah and Joel and Shemaniah and Elel and Aminadab and said unto them, Ye are the chief of the fathers of the Levites. Sanctify both ye and your brethren that ye may bring up the ark of the Lord of Israel unto the place that I have prepared up for it. For because ye did it not at the first, the Lord our God made a breach upon us, for that we sought him not after the due order. Now we see a completely different image in the mirror this time than we did the first time, don't we? The first time David got in all the military leaders and all the political leaders, and then he called the Levites and the priests and said, Come on and sit in on our meeting. This time, David doesn't call any of his military, political, whatever leaders. He just gets the priest and the Levites and the heads of this group of people that were separated by God for Israel for the work that was to be done. And he said, you guys better get straightened out. This sanctification process that he was talking about was ordained in the Scripture. It was part of the Old Testament law. It took a week in order for this thing to be accomplished at the tabernacle where God had set this thing up. There were sacrifices to be offered. There were prayers to be made. There was actually uh, 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 part of it was taking a bath and, and preparing yourself completely for the work that God had called them to. The Levites could not just come from home and stand there and say, now we're ready to serve God. God said, listen, if you're going to minister to me, you've got to be sanctified or separated by the, 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 by the things that need to be done. You can read in the book of Exodus, there's several chapters devoted there to the process of sanctification that the Levites had to go through. By the way, 
it included the uh, included the physical cleansing of the body, included the clothes, it included everything about them. They were no longer normal people when they were sanctified. Hold on to that one. We'll come back to it in a little bit. David said, you guys refused to do it the first time, and that's why Uzzah died. Now, David understood he was the leader of this whole thing. But now he had done some searching here and found what the Bible said. And he was going to these Levites and he said, you need to sanctify yourselves. Because when we don't sanctify, when you're not sanctified, you don't do the work. And that's why Uzziah died. Now. Verse 14, it says, So the priests and Levites sanctified themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel. And the children of the Levites bear the ark of God upon their shoulders with the staves thereon as Moses commanded according to the word of the Lord. And David spake to the chief of the Levites to appoint their brethren to be the singers with instruments of music, psalteries and harps and cymbals sounding, uh, by lifting up voices with joy. The voice with joy, I'm sorry. So the Levites appointed Heman, the son of Joel, and his brethren Asaph, the son of Barakiah, Barakiah, I'm sorry, and of the sons of Mariah and their brethren, Ethan uh, and the son of Cushiah, with their brethren of the second degree. And it lists a bunch more names here. And so the singers in verse 19, and we... Come on down here to uh, verse 25. So David and the elders of Israel and the captains over the thousands went to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of the house of Obed-Edom with joy. And it came to pass when God helped the Levites that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord that they offered seven bullocks and seven rams. And David was clothed with a robe of fine linen and all the Levites that bear the ark and the singers and Chaniah, the master of the song with his singers. David also had upon him an ephod of linen. Thus all Israel, <coughs> excuse me, brought up the ark of the covenant of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of cornet and with the trumpets and with cymbals making a noise with psalteries and harps. Now we see a completely different picture, don't we? And we see that Ark of the Covenant brought into the city of Jerusalem. And we see the same music as before. Different song leaders this time. It was the Levites leading the song. We see them doing things in due order, taking the time. Again, this, this, uh, this idea of sanctification of the Levites was not accomplished in a day. It took seven days. It was eight days before they were able to actually serve. And so they had to get these men and it was hundreds and hundreds of men that needed to be sanctified and there were sacrifices to be offered and everything was done. Now, we didn't read verse 29. And let's just read it very quickly. It says, And it came to pass, as the ark of the covenant of the Lord came to the city of David, that Michael, the daughter of Saul, 
looking out a window, saw King David dancing and playing, and she despised him in her heart. Any time God's people gets it right, there's always going to be a high and mighty critic there sitting and saying, you didn't do it the right way. You ever think about that? Michael was the daughter of King Saul. Remember what they did with the Ark of the Covenant during King Saul's days? They ignored it. And, you know, Michael was really the only one who was there that could understand the protocol and, and the way kings of Israel behaved because her dad was the only king before David. And so she felt that she had a little bit of authority there and a little bit of understanding of, of proper decorum. And as she looked at David and said, you're not acting like a king ought to behave. You always have the critics. It's, it's part of the picture in the mirror, isn't it? Now, we'll take just a few minutes and go back and look in the mirror a little closer here. Number one, if we're going to worship God as a church, we got to seek God in due order. Amen? Does anybody know who the Levites are today? What does the Bible say in the book of Revelation? We've gone over this many times. Thou hast made us what? Kings and priests. Guess where that puts you if you're a born-again believer? If you've been saved the Bible way, you're one of those priests. And does God want His people to be sanctified today? Read 2 Corinthians chapter 6. The last two verses of that chapter says, Wherefore... Come ye out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Isn't that a wonderful promise? He says, I'm going to be your father, and you're going to be my children. But you've got to be sanctified. You've got to come out from among them. You've got to take your hand off the unclean thing and you've got to act like my children and I will bless you. Now, God asks us to do certain things not because He's going to be enriched by what we do, but because God is the one that chooses what is right and what is wrong, and we will benefit the most by being obedient to God. Amen? Now, we have a goal here, very similar to what David's goal was. I don't know about you, but I'd like to see every seat filled in this auditorium on Sunday morning. We'd have to run the air conditioning in the middle of the winter. Wouldn't that be great? It would never be cold in this building if we filled every seat. I mean, even if you turn the heat off. And in fact, Highland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, had no heat in their building at all. 
only air conditioning. And, and they ran that thing almost year-round, but you put 8,000 people in a building, it'll heat it up pretty quick. But just stop and think here. There's a lot of ways we could get people into the building. I fill this building up with men real easy. All you got to do is give away free beer, right? We'd have a line to the Brooklyn Bridge and back. But would it be a church? No. If it's going to be a church, we've got to seek God after the due order. Amen? And what I, I, I'm asking this morning and what I want you to think about this morning, and, and this message is basically directed to those people who are already members of Open Door Bible Baptist Church. Could we not pray to God as individuals? Ask God, number one, that He sanctify us so that he could use us in his service. And number two, ask him if he would allow us to bring somebody with us before the end of this year to church. Now, what I mean by bring somebody with us is somebody to come and get saved and get baptized and become a faithful member of Open Door Bible Baptist Church. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? I mean, we've talked about this before. But I want us to look in this mirror and, and you know something? King David tried to do it by himself the first time and you know what he did? He messed up, didn't he? The Great Commission doesn't say, Go thou therefore. It says, Go ye therefore. So the, the great commission that tells us to go is not given to pastor, singular. It's given to church, plural. And there's not a one of us here that doesn't want to see more people on Sunday morning. But we're not going to give away free beer, amen? In fact, we're not going to give away beer at any cost because that's nasty stuff and destroys people's lives. You're not going to find the, the drink of the devil mixed with the water of life. Doesn't work. We're not going to get a rock band so we can meet people where they are. Amen? Because people don't need to be where they are. They need to get out of there and get changed. Amen? Uh, we don't want to adapt the gospel to make it sound nice because we don't want someone to get confused and think they're saved because they feel good about what's going on and someday end up in a place called hell because they didn't know the difference. Amen? And so, what we need to do is as individuals. Now, if you're here today and you're not saved, my plea would be for you to surrender your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Just give Him everything you are. 
Jesus talked about the publican that prayed the prayer, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's all it took. He stopped trying to save himself. He admitted that only Jesus could save him. And it was a done deal. Amen? It's not the words. The Bible says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. If it happens here, it'll come out here. You say, well, I'm not ready for it to come out here. Well, then you're not ready for it to happen here yet. Because when it happens here, you can't stop this. Amen? If you're here today and you're saved, and maybe you're not baptized, you're not a member of church, I, I recommend Open Door Bible Baptist Church. I kind of like it here. Amen? Uh, the promise I will make you is the one that I gave God before there was an Open Door Bible Baptist Church, that we will do everything as much as we possibly can under the influence of the Holy Spirit to just simply be obedient to this book called the Bible. And when we don't do that, we go to God and we confess that as sin to God, we get it right, and we do what we need to do. Amen? Then the last part is, if you're saved, you're baptized, member of the church, would you be willing to ask God if there's anything that needs to be moved out of your life, anything that needs to be surrendered, any sin, any habit, that you would sanctify yourself according to the Word. That means separated from the world. Some of us, we just need to turn that television set off. You know what? If you can't control what's on that TV, then just get rid of the dumb thing. Amen? Don't be a slave to the television. Don't be a slave to anything. If it hinders your service to God, get rid of it because that's what sanctification means. God appointed us as Christians John chapter 16, to bear fruit. And what is the fruit of the Christian? It is souls. Amen? Now, we can't do that. I can't do that by myself. If I try, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do the same thing that David did, and I'm going to put souls at risk. It's got to be the Levites that do the work. It's got to be every member of our church that covenants together to sanctify and separate themselves from the world and to ask God. Do you think if you ask God for one that he would listen? You just might end up with two or three by mistake. Wouldn't that be a horrible thing? Could we do that as a church? This is what we call the worship time. And you cannot separate the word worship from the word do or obedience. Amen? And so we we'll want to just put it out as simple as I can this morning and just simply asking each member here to make a decision to ask. I'm not saying, oh, we're a bunch of filthy heathen. And, but I'll tell you, I believe we could see more souls saved and added to our church than we have. But I can't do it by myself.
It's got to be the Levites that bear the burden. We'll all rejoice, amen. And that's our mirror. What have we seen? Now comes the time of invitation. That's what we're going to do. Now, some of us will look in that mirror and we'll say, wow, that we, there's some things that need to be changed. Yep, okay. Oh, it's Sunday again. I forgot completely about it. The Bible says in the book of James that people look in the mirror and they forget what manner of man they were. We've been doing a lot of work in the building. There's one thing I do when we're working in the building. I stay away from mirrors because I don't want to see what I look like because then I'll have to stop work and go get cleaned up. And uh, so, uh, but as we're serving God, we need to look in the mirror regularly. Amen. We need to see what we are and ask God. Oh, by the way, there'll be those that complain. Now, you know what we'll do? We'll just keep doing what the Bible said. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask that you would just work in our heart and life, that we would be simply willing to sanctify ourselves. Lord, there's really not a one of us here that is perfect in our relationship with God. There are things that need to be changed. We ask that you would just Give us a willing heart to surrender to you and your word. We pray for those that are here today that are unsaved, that they would be willing to give their lives to you in salvation. We pray for those that are here that are saved and not a member, not faithfully serving you through your local church, Lord. We pray they would be willing to join with us and be a part. Lord, we pray you would be with our members, that they would not be offended, but they would be honest and be willing to surrender their lives to you. Lord, we pray that you would strengthen our hearts and our minds for the work of bringing in souls. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. Have Brother Franz come and lead us in the hymn of invitation. Picked a different hymn this morning, one that we normally don't sing. 292 in your hymn book. It just simply says, Nothing between my soul and the Savior. And that's where you need to be if you're going to serve the Lord. Amen. As Franz leads us in the song, will you come and talk to God? Jesus is mine, there's nothing between, nothing between.
Many have come. We'll just have the piano continue to play. Would you pray that God would use you in your life to bring others to Him? Would you just surrender your life to be obedient to His Word? If you need to come, now is the time. Let's just sing that chorus one more time, and if no one else comes, we'll be done. Just the chorus. Nothing beats my soul and the Savior, so that His blessed face may be seen. Nothing prevents He the least of His favor. All God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. And uh, please take a moment to uh, look over the bulletin. We have changed the date of the team meeting. We needed to move that back uh, one Saturday. Uh, uh, praise the Lord. Half of the ceiling downstairs is in place. And... Uh, this coming Friday and Saturday, the men will be coming back from Connecticut, and we're going to try to get the second half done. And uh, the, one of the reasons why we're pushing that way is because uh, next Sunday is actually the anniversary Sunday for uh, the Spanish-language church, Iglesia Baptista International, that meets downstairs. It would really be nice if they could look at something other than girders and steel and cables and stuff hanging out of the ceiling on anniversary Sunday. We'd like to get the new lights up and uh, I think they have finished. If you'd like to take a look at what's going on downstairs, uh, uh, we'll have after the service, we'll have one of the ushers run down and, and they'll let you know if it's the way clear because we don't want to disturb their service, but uh, we'll be using that space down there when we have special services and fellowships and things and so it's going to be really nice when it's all done, if it ever gets done. So pray about that if you would. And uh, uh, just uh, next Sunday morning, we've got a special privilege. Uh, Brother Bob Mack, missionary to Ivory Coast, is going to be with us. He'll be preaching next Sunday morning. And uh, we'll be looking forward to hearing from them. 
and uh, they're getting ready to go back. If you study, if you study the news at all, Ivory Coast is still in a great turmoil. In fact, uh, they won't even be able to live in the country at this time. They'll have to uh, live in a neighboring country and go back and forth. And so you uh, pray for them. It's very difficult. If you could imagine what it's like living uh, five, 8,000 miles away from home and uh, then not even be able to live in your regular home to have to rent a place in a different country and travel back and forth and just to do the work that God's called them to. I'll tell you, I, I love their heart and their willingness to do whatever it takes. And so we need to be behind them. We've supported the Max ever since they went to the mission field. And uh, his heart and his desire to serve the Lord is one of those reasons. And so, ushers, if you'll come, we'll receive this morning's offering. Let us give un as unto the Lord. Brother George, would you ask God to bless the offering? Let's stand together. Franz, come and lead us as we're dismissed. 705, if you need the words. Take the name of Jesus with you, child of sorrow and of woe. It will joy and comfort give.